Good morning, my name is Adele and I'm going to be reading the Bible to you this morning. We have uh, two lots of verses. Our first one is Revelation 21, verses 1 to 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne, Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them, and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. And now we turn to the book of 2 Peter. Chapter 3, verses 8 to 13. Dear friends, don't overlook this one fact. With the Lord, one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. The Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. On that day, the heavens will pass away with a loud noise. The elements will burn and be dissolved, and the earth and the works on it will be disclosed. Since all these things are to be dissolved in this way, it is clear what sort of people you should be in holy conduct and godliness, as you wait for the day of God and hasten its coming. Because of that day the heavens will be dissolved with fire and the elements will melt with heat. But based on his promise, we wait for new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Amen. Thanks Adele, thanks Murray and thank you everyone um, for a very special morning and day. Um, I have had several requests in recent times um, for the histomap. <coughs> and so I went searching, I, I opened 20 boxes to find this and I did. And um, I thank the many people who are concerned for the new people at our church who have not seen this histomap and um, 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 you keep hearing about different aspects of it, and even now I need to correct something Murray has said. But here it is, the histomap in all its glory. And what it does, it shows you how the balance of power in the world has changed really ever since day dot, right up until pretty modern times. And my reason for showing this, well, there's, there's, there's lots of reasons for showing this. My main reason for showing this over the years has been because I keep feeling like we feel like we're stuck in a world that is fixed, where the power is fixed. And we look at the, uh, which powers dominate today and, and, well, up until recently, we, w we would have said the United States is just so dominant and yet you see um, over time it just changes 
Um, I've got a bit of a screenshot kind of up there to show you just how it works. And we're, we're, we're a nation that has huge power over here, over centuries, its power is almost wiped out. Now, it's very important before I put this away to say there's one exception to this, and that is the country of? India. India. And this is where Murray didn't get it right. Because it's not that the Gupta dynasty in India just goes on and on and on. In fact, it was on an occasion when I was preaching and I was looking at this map and I realised, you know, India, um, it, it, it doesn't ever do anything spectacular, except in cricket, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but it doesn't ever go. It's just a constant which is there on the right-hand side continually. And one day when I was preaching, I was looking at that and I said, except for this time right over here when you see... And then I looked at it more closely and India was at its most dominant under the Gupta dynasty. <laughs> it's not that the Gupta dynasty just goes on and on and on. It just... It, if it did, it might... Anyway. <laughs> but friends, I want to come back to the big point, which is my introduction today. The nations of the world rise and fall continually. And what we see today will not be the case in a few centuries' time. And I want to start off in that way today to um, really come to look at what the Bible says about the future. I'm going to look at a few passages on this occasion. And I want to start off by diving into 2 Peter chapter 3, which Adele just read for us. It says in 2 Peter chapter 3, all things are to be dissolved in this way. And therefore it is clear what sort of people you should be in holy conduct and godliness as you wait for the day of God and hasten its coming. Because of that day, the heavens will be dissolved with the fire and the elements will melt with heat. Now the word dissolve in the Christian Standard Bible, um, it's code for destroyed. What the Bible says about the future is that this world will one day be destroyed. And I used to read these words, and maybe like you, I used to think this is unimaginable. And yet in the last 12 months, things that we have thought were unimaginable, we have just kind of stopped and we thought, hang on, we didn't see that coming. And you realise to trust in this world and the processes that we see in this world, it is a futile exercise. And we just don't know when it might happen. Look at verse 10. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. On that day, the heavens will pass away with a loud noise. The elements will burn and be dissolved. The other day, I, I was at Moore College, and on this occasion at Moore College, I was you know, locked behind a security kind of access thing on the kind of where, where, the, where the staff kind of are. I set up my computer on the desk. I had to get up. I had to go to the toilet. And I, I went through this trauma. I need to explain that. <laughs> Because when I was a student at Moore College, almost 20 years ago now, on one occasion I was given, uh, for various reasons, a brand new laptop and I went into the Moore College library, I set up my laptop, I had a PC so it took ages to boot up, I pressed the button, I let it kind of go and, and then I went away to the bathroom and I came back and you know what? It was gone. It had been stolen from the Moore Theological College Library, my brand new laptop. 
No one was playing a joke on me. I searched and I didn't see that coming. And for every single one of us living in this world, there are things that happen to us from time to time that we just don't see coming. Did I mention it was the more theological college library? (laughs) We just don't see things coming. And 2 Peter chapter 3, it says that the day of the Lord will be like that. It will come when we least expect it. And friends, it's one of those little powerful reminders for me. I remember the chaos that I went, I was plunged into on that day almost 20 years ago, looking, searching, wondering what had happened. And yet I come to think about what it will be like when the day of the Lord comes. And I, th- I think the chaos that I went through in those moments that afternoon will be absolutely nothing compared to the chaos that will come into our world when that day of the Lord comes. And verse 12, it's intriguing. It talks about us. It starts to talk about the implication for us living in this world. And it says that that we should live waiting for the day of God and hastening its coming. Have you ever waited for a baby to come? Sorry, Lisa, right at the moment, right? You kind of, you know... And we haven't talked about this, but I imagine at home there's things in progress, right? You prepare for that time. And right when you expect the the birth kind of, you know, in that window of a couple of weeks and someone says to you, Harrison, Lisa, come over for dinner, you say... (laughs) Sorry, what did you say? I said no. This has happened before. (laughs) See, you say yes and then you say provided we're still here, provided we're not in hospital, provided the baby hasn't come. And the imminent expected arrival of a child, it dominates everything. And everything else, it is subservient to that greater purpose and that greater agenda. Now, even if you haven't been in that experience, I'm sure you can relate But folks, 2 Peter 3, it slips in another absolutely fascinating phrase. It talks about hastening its coming. Did you notice? When you're expecting a baby, putting aside inductions and seizures and the like, you just have to wait for that time. Sorry, unless you read those things and talk about it, having lots of chilli or curry or, you know, that, that kind of... <laughs> you just have to wait for that time. But when it comes to the day of the Lord and the coming day of the Lord, 2, pa- two, two Peter 3 suggests you can actually hasten its coming. And you might be sitting there thinking, Raj, do you mean to say that there is something I can do to speed the coming of the day of the Lord? Yes. You mean there is something I can do so that Jesus will return more quickly? Yes. 
You mean that there is something I can do to shorten the time in this world that is full of so much pain and so much restlessness? Yes. There is. It's breathtaking, friends. But let's come back to that. And skip ahead to the magnificent passage. Some of you will know one of my favourites that gives us a picture for what the world will be like in the future. It's the other passage Adele read for us. This, has what been, this is what has been promised in Revelation chapter 21. The second last chapter of the Bible. Isn't it spectacular the way God does this? As you get to the end of the Bible, he gives us this extraordinary vision of the future. And it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husbands. Maybe you're like me and, and you keep groaning for this world. Here is something I found one person quite honestly and openly shared. They said, I've basically been suffering from depression and anxiety since I was very young. And now that I'm 18, in fact 19 on Wednesday, I just recently decided to drop out of uni. I can't stand on my own two feet. I came to live back with my father and that helps. But I can't find work, mainly because I get too anxious to leave the house. And I can't do, do normal day-to-day -day things like wake up, feed myself properly, exercise and so on. My life is a mess. I'm always over-emotional. <coughs> I have no money. I keep disappointing the people I love. And I just don't know what to do anymore. I don't like hanging with friends except my partner. And I'm so lost now. I try so hard to pick myself up, but I just don't know where to go from here. Now, can you resonate with some aspect of that? Maybe you've been impacted because of sin. Maybe someone won't talk to you. And you feel the impact of a relational breakdown. Maybe it's a bit different. You've become aware of sin, but this time it's your own sin and the impact it has in your own mind and heart and life and, and, and you just feel crippled and powerless and helpless. Or maybe you feel that your life just lacks a purpose. You know, like Groundhog Day, you just go through the same day again and again and again and again and you long... To escape. I'm not going to call you folks today. <laughs> but let me say this. The new heavens and the new earth is coming. The timing isn't known, but it is coming. 
Just like in the Old Testament, Israel, they were rescued from being slaves in Egypt. Now it's the case, now it's the promise of the Bible that those who love and serve Jesus will be rescued from a world that is groaning under the impact of sin. And part of the struggle in my heart, and perhaps in your heart as well, is that I just find myself, I keep forgetting about the fact that the day of the Lord is coming. Even just yesterday, there I was, I was in a cafe, um, um, sitting down with my computer, and there all around in the cafe were people just enjoying themselves. I stopped, couldn't concentrate on what I was doing, I just was people watching and so on and so on, and I just observed all of these people enjoying themselves. It was like they were living for these moments in this world. It was amazing. And I just found myself thinking, in fact, I was finishing off on this talk, and I first found myself thinking, it is so easy to forget that this world is not all there is. In fact, the Bible says even more than that, right? The Bible says that this world will be dissolved, this world will be destroyed. The focus of the Bible is to help us focus on the new heavens and the new earth that is going to come. And I was reminded by that line I learned from Frank Retief years ago. Whenever you look at someone, whenever you meet someone, had this question going around in your head, what is this person's future? Is this someone who knows and loves Jesus? If so, then your role is to encourage them in continuing on that journey. Is there someone, on the other hand, who doesn't know Jesus? Because then our focus shifts, or at least it should shift, to thinking about with all of our being and all of our energy, what can we do to introduce this person to Jesus Christ so that they can be part of the new heavens and the new earth that is coming? It is so easy for us to forget, just to become immersed in this world. The vision of the future, it continues. And we see what it is that God has in mind in verse 3. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity and he will live with them. They will be his peoples and God himself will be with them and will be their God. This is so powerful. In the Old Testament, Moses, he was told he couldn't even look at God. And now a time in the future is given to us where not only can we look at God, we're told in this world when the new heavens and the new earth comes, at this time people not just can look at God, but God will dwell with us and we will dwell with him. My dear friends, my message to you today, my last as the lead pastor of this church, 
is the same message I've tried to have for the last 14 years being here. It's the same message that the Bible teaches us continually. And that is, Jesus' death on the cross has changed absolutely everything. I focused on this a few weeks ago, remember? It was the guilty one, Barabbas, who should have been on the cross, but it was the innocent Jesus who was on the cross instead. In this vision of the future in Revelation, we're told that because of Jesus, God will dwell with us and we will dwell with him. And what that looks like is the incredible and the magnificent, verse 4, where it says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. Now, do you long for this time like I do? I'm getting blank looks. Do you long for this time like I do? We all express in different ways our um, discontent with this world. There's grief, there's crying, there's pain. And by the way, I just want to say once again, if you've been at this church for a while or even a short time and for whatever reason I have let you down or I have failed you, I, I just want to take this opportunity once again to apologise and to plead with you. Please don't let my human failings, or if it's the case for you that another Christian leader has let you down, their human failings. Please don't let those human failings get in the way of you longing for this day when the day of the Lord becomes a reality forever and ever and ever. Because as we've seen in 2 Peter 3, we just don't know what is around the corner. Our new house (laughs) is in Oatlands. Right around the corner from the location of the so-called Oatlands tragedy. Remember that just a year or so ago? When little children were hit by a car. Every day, I, I, well, when I drive past most days, there's flowers, there's messages, there's some kind of memorial constantly being refreshed. It took me back to some of the times of incredible grief within our own church. Just mid-last year during COVID, we saw the passing of Pete Higgins. Some of you will remember 10 or so years ago the absolute tragedy of a two-year-old, Ethan, drowning in his backyard pool just a few streets away. Incredible times of grief and many others. Folks, these remind us We don't know what's around the corner for us and also in the lives of those we love. 
and in the lives of those we meet. The Bible teaches us to be ready at any time because we just don't know. And so I want to plead with us on this occasion to not just long for the day of the Lord, but I want to plead with us to also live for the day of the Lord. There's a bit of a debate these days in um, um, Christian academia circles and other circles. To what extent should we be um, living for this world and to what extent should we be living for the world to come? Right, I've just tried, there's the kind of spectrum, it's a bit of a spectrum. If you focus on living for this world, you focus on, on things like environmental concerns. You focus on things like injustices in this world. You focus on things like feeding the starving. You focus on things like liberating the oppressed and other good things which are all connected with fixing up this world. Right, that's, that's one view that's argued for quite strongly. The other view is, and this is the one I subscribe to, none of those things are bad. They're all good. And yet the focus on the Bible, of the Bible is to teach us that what is coming is a new heavens and a new earth. And so by all means, there might be some things we do over here, but our focus should be on helping people be prepared for the new heavens and the new earth. Our focus should be in helping people understand that Jesus, he died on the cross in their place so that people can be part of that kingdom that is coming. Friends, I want to encourage us on this day to live for that world. Jesus, he put this even more sharply when he told the parable of the shrewd manager, as it's often called. It's in Luke 16. I'm not going to read it. It's an unexpected story. It's worth just reading and pondering and thinking about and giving yourself some time to do so because really it's quite intriguing when you read it because what happens is Jesus, he commends someone for being extraordinarily shrewd. In fact, some translations, they insert the word uh, dishonest. They don't use the word shrewd, it's dishonest. And Jesus commends this person for being shrewd or bordering on dishonesty. Because what he does is he uses what he has at his disposal in this world to prepare for the future. That's what he does. And he won't stop at anything at his disposal to secure his future. He's not just thinking about the here and now. He's thinking about the future. And that's why Jesus, he, he commends this, this shrewd man. Do not live for the current, but long for the future. And not just long for the future, but live for the future. And so I want to encourage you at Toongabi Anglican Church. It's a great church. If you're visiting, if you're watching online, you're thinking about joining us, um, yes, I'm leaving. This is an amazing church. Very hard for us to decide to leave. And I just want to encourage you. Keep being fishers of men and women, whatever the cost.
Did you hear that? Keep being fishers of men and women, whatever the cost. Know that the days of this world are numbered. Please don't be tied to any particular leaders, be that me or someone else. And please remember, when the new person comes, I have no idea who that's going to be, when the new person comes, whoever they are, they're going to have different strengths and weaknesses to me. It's an opportunity for cheering, actually. I thought people might break out in cheering at that point. (laughs) But the main thing is this. We'll see if you can help me out. The main thing is that the main thing stays the... Let's try that again. The is that the remains the... That is what serving our community boldly is all about. And remember I said earlier there's that intriguing phrase in 2 Peter 3 about hastening the coming of the day of the Lord? It's connected with this. It's connected with this. We hasten the coming of the day of the Lord by being God's agents in our community and the world as together we come closer to the gospel um, going to the ends of the earth. That's how we hasten the coming of the day of the Lord. And friends, it's for this reason I've spent my last article thanking the many people across our church who just work tirelessly to serve. Working together. Helping our church community focus on being fishers of men and women. For Jesus, his whole existence in this world was about serving us. It's interesting to read the Gospels, you know, particularly Luke's Gospel, I think. You read Luke's Gospel and you just keep seeing, um, you get to a point and Jesus, he he keeps saying, um, Jerusalem, it is necessary for me to go to Jerusalem. The disciples, they keep saying, hang on, there's danger in Jerusalem. Don't go to Jerusalem, run the other way. And Jesus, he just keeps coming back and saying, no, 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 it's necessary for me to go to Jerusalem. That's where I must die. That's where I must raise from the dead. But it's going to be hard in Jerusalem. Jesus says, yes, I know it's going to be hard in Jerusalem, but that's what I have to do. Because the most important thing is people being able to live for the, for the new heavens and the new earth. And in this quest, Jesus, he ended up in the Garden of Gethsemane. Here's a picture of the Garden of Gethsemane. And, you know, one of those the opportunities you gave me as a church was to go to Jerusalem and to see these places. And I didn't pick it up from the text, but being there, my first impression, being in the Garden of Gethsemane was, wow, that is so close to the temple. In fact, it's more than close. The temple is actually overpowering over the Garden of Gethsemane. And so when Jesus was on that night in the Garden of Gethsemane, he had the temple towering over the top of him, representing human opposition to the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who created the world, the one who now lowered himself to be in this world, the one who was about to save the world, and he didn't run away.
at this time a couple of years ago, a, a group of friends, we, we were in the Garden of Gethsemane and we just broke out into song. I think it was how deep the Father's love for us. But you know, 2,000 years ago, Jesus in that garden, he uttered different words. He said, Father, if you are willing, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Can you imagine what he was going through? A number of very kindly asked Nicole and I as we've come in this morning, what does it feel like to be here today? And it's a whole lot of mixed emotions. But I wonder if we can reflect on what it was like for Jesus to pray that prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane with the temple towering over the top. Before too long, he was arrested, tried, mocked, despised, crucified. And in going to the cross, he paid the price for every single one of us. He paid the price for you. No matter who you are. And this is the central gospel message. It means we can long for the city of God. And the Bible teaches us not just to long for the city of God, the new Jerusalem that is coming. The Bible teaches us also to live for that time. No matter what that cost might be. And that means using whatever might be at your disposal now to reach people. Some are not that hard. A new person walks through the doors of TAC. It's not that hard to go up to them and welcome them as this church is renowned for. Other things are a little bit harder. Going out of your way to invite someone to 180, the youth group, or to Tooney Kids Week or Christianity Explored. And then other things might be even harder. Adopting lifestyles or turning your back on lifestyles so that you can be an active part of God's mission in this world. As together we hasten the coming of the day of the Lord. There are so many opportunities that we have as a church that just are going begging. I'll tell you the latest one I've just become aware of just in the last week or two. It's, as I leave, this is what's on my heart for this church or a particular ministry, and that is 180. The last three or four weeks of 180, I think it's been four, three weeks now, maybe four, they have had something like 45 to 50 teenagers. Last year, it was more like early 30s. The biggest group in that are the junior girls. On Friday night, there were 21 junior girls here. And you know how many leaders there were? Two. We need more. Sorry, you need more. 
And you might think to yourself, that's for young people. I want to say to you, here's Robert and Gay sitting over here for a couple of years. They gave up every Friday night to come and help at 180. Inspirational, guys. Anyone can be involved. There's one thing. There are so many. Remember, nations will rise and nations will fall. Except India. Okay, China was there too. Nations will rise and nations will fall. And I don't know when, but the day of the Lord will come. And what I've tried to say today, from God's word, to encourage you and exhort you, as in a sense my final, final words, is to long for that day. And not just long for that day, but also to live for that day. I find it fascinating, you come to Revelation 22, the very last verses of the Bible, and it says this, He who testifies about these things, that is Jesus, says, Yes, I am coming quickly. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. And the last line, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with all the saints. Amen. Nothing could be more important, could it?